Hebrews chapter 11, where Ron read to us a minute ago as we're going through this chapter. We're going to start, however, this morning in Genesis 6. So as a matter of fact, I'm going to have you turn to a few places uh, before we get back to Hebrews 11. This is kind of a connect the dots exercise. Do you ever uh, do that where you uh, say this one has to follow this one and so forth? And we're going to connect the dots a little bit in Noah's life before we get back to Hebrews 11 and verse 7 that speaks uh, about Noah. Now in Genesis chapter 6 is, is the beginning of the flood discussion and where God is, is telling us uh, that uh, he's calling Noah, Noah's going to build the ark, and then you have uh, all the instructions about the ark, the animals, and those kinds of things, and then the, the year on the ark, and then the time afterwards, and so forth. It all begins in six. <clears throat> but I want to remind you that uh, we spoke a little bit last week about chapter five because of the genealogy, and we came back here and uh, looked at Enoch, remember, uh, in verse 21, and following. And uh, verse 24, Enoch walked with God, was not for God took him. And then uh, we noticed that Enoch had a son named Methuselah. And this is interesting because Noah becomes the grandson of Methuselah. So if you if your eye goes down through, you see Methuselah in verse 27, then in verse 28, Lamech, and then in verse 29, Noah. So Methuselah, the longest man ever lived, 969 years, a millennium almost, uh, is the uh, grand, uh, fa- grandfather of Noah, who's his grandson. And I'll come back to this thought in a minute, but Methuselah, that long name, literally means when he dies, it shall be sent. I don't know if you have a reference Bible that gives those names at the bottom or whatever, But uh, interesting that uh, we find that uh, Noah dies at the very year that the flood begins. And so, uh, and Noah, I meant Methuselah, dies at the year the flood begins. Noah wanted to, I think, but he didn't. (laughs) And then I want you to notice that uh, Noah having this great heritage from his great-grandfather Enoch and his grandfather Methuselah, that uh, Noah uh, is said to be a righteous man. So in in chapter 6, and and by the way, as as you read from verse 1 through verse 8, you find these introductory remarks that I'll refer to, uh, especially verse 3, the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he... uh, also his flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty. In other words, he's telling Noah at this time, a hundred and twenty more years and uh, the flood will come or Methuselah will die at this year and the flood will come. And verse five, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. God kind of stooping to our thoughts and explaining to us 
why he's about to do what he's about to do. Verse 8, though, says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. A beautiful expression. And verse 9 says, these then are the generations of Noah. But notice this, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And the word just means that he is righteous. He justified, we might say. And so in all of this terrible time, such wickedness that God has to destroy the earth and start again, basically, one man finds grace in his eyes, and that man is Noah, who is a righteous man. Chapter 7 and verse 1, we'll use that word righteous. The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And so that's an important statement. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11, when he says, By faith, Noah then became the heir of righteousness. Uh, he found righteousness through God's grace and through his faith, and uh, that saved Noah and his family and so forth, and the rest of us, by the way. Now, seeing that little bit of <clears throat> excuse me, genealogy, I want you to go forward in your Bible to the book of Ezekiel. Now, the, the major prophets come in order, Ezekiel, or there's uh, Isaiah, then Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. And Ezekiel chapter 14 has a couple interesting statements, and Noah's name appears in Ezekiel 14, where Ezekiel is a, is a prophet during the time of the Babylonian captivity, when the Jews had been taken into captivity, and, and God is explaining why and so forth, and why he let his people be destroyed almost by the Babylonians, earlier by the Assyrians. But I want you to notice in these, in these verses, verse 12 says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Ezekiel speaking, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by transgressing grievously, then I will stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it, which he did in that captivity. And then notice this. Though these three men, and he names Noah, Daniel, and Job, even though they were in it, that is, in the land, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. You catch what he's saying there? The sin of Israel is so great, and my wrath upon them is so great, that even if they had three of the most righteous men that ever lived here, Noah, Daniel, and Job, praying for them and preaching to them, it would not even change things. I would have still done the same thing. And look at verse 19. Or if I send pestilence unto that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off uh, from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. There's also a little verse, and you don't have to turn back there, but I'll read it to you. You might mark it down in, in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. Very similar, Jeremiah, who's preaching at the same time, <clears throat> says, Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. 
cast them out of my sight. Let them go forth. So Jeremiah adds Moses and Samuel to that list. <clears throat> and so what I'm pointing out is <clears throat> that when God's judgment is going to come on the earth, there should be righteous men, and they will be preachers of righteousness, but that doesn't mean that people are going to believe them. And Noah's day, of course, here he preaches for these 120 years and more, and he, he's a preacher of righteousness, and yet even the righteousness of Noah could not change God's judgment that came on the earth. The same was true uh, in Daniel's day, the same was true in Job's day, Moses, and the rest. Now, having looked at that, go with me past Hebrews, all the way now back to our New Testament, and to the books of Peter, First and Second Peter, follow Hebrews and James. And uh, there's a couple references here that I want us to notice. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. I'll, I'll, read verse, I'll read verse 19. By which, that is the Spirit up above, also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedience when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Meaning, of course, back to chapter Genesis 6, and when the imagination of the thought of heart was so evil continually. While the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. And I'm going to come back to this verse in a minute. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us. Parenthesis, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now here's, the, while the ark was preparing, here's Noah preaching, and all he saved was his family. Now go to 2 Peter, and there's one other statement about Noah here in 2 Peter chapter 2, which is a prophecy of the future, and verse 5. Verse 4 says, he spared not the angels that sinned. And in verse 5 he says, he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so now Peter tells us twice that even the preaching of Noah in these days could not turn away the wrath of God that came upon the world in those days. So one other statement I want you to remember, and that's in Matthew chapter 24, or I'll turn there for you if you want to find your way back to uh, Hebrews. But Matthew 24, remember this, by the way, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, is warning you and me about God's coming judgment at the end of the world. And the way he's warning you and me is to say, you remember the days of Noah? You remember that there was a preacher of righteousness in the days of Noah? It did not change God's judgment. And so Peter is using that. Now, this last thought from Jesus himself, in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, he begins to talk about 
the coming judgment, which is the coming tribulation period that will come upon this world, yet in our future, folks, with the Antichrist and Armageddon and all of those things that are yet to come. In Matthew 24, 36, he says, But of that day and hour, meaning when the Lord will come, knoweth uh, no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not, they knew not, until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now Jesus puts the preaching of Noah in this context, and that is, Jesus will come a second time. And God will be judging this earth in the tribulation period. And during that time, there will be great sin. You read it in Matthew 24 and 25, on this earth. And yet, just as it was before the flood, it will be the same way before the coming of Christ and his second coming. Sin will abound. The imagination of man's heart is only evil continually. Then will it turn away God's judgment? No, it won't. God will judge this world in the tribulation period. Now let's go back to Hebrews 11. And so this time of Noah and this flood of Noah is used in the Scripture as a warning to all of us. It was used as a warning to Israel in the time of captivity. It was used by Jesus to warn us. It's used by Peter, and we ought to take heed about it. Now, I have, some, I have these three thoughts from verse 7 because, at least in our English, there's kind of three independent clauses here or three statements that are made that I, I want to point out. And you have them in your outline there. By faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not yet seen, here's the first one, he moved with fear. Noah moved with fear. Secondly, he prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world. So he moved with fear, he prepared an ark, and then thirdly, it says, he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, if we're going to look at Noah, and we're going to hear his preaching, and we're going to hear what he has to say with us, we need to learn these three things from Noah. First of all, by faith, Noah moved with fear. Do you fear the Lord? The Bible says you should, of course. We should fear the Lord. And let me tell you this, that means not just having a fuzzy feeling about God. Sometimes it means to be afraid. Because God will follow through with the things that he said he'll follow through with. And so we fear the Lord in a number of different ways. The word fear here, can all, and the New King James has godly fear, which is a proper use of the whole word here. Back in chapter 5, verse 7, uh, Jesus was heard in his prayers, Jesus himself, because he feared, and this same word is used. Or in chapter 12, we should uh, worship the Lord in reverence and godly feared, and the word reverence is used. And so, in my thinking, Noah moved and did the things he did because of his reverence before God. That ought to be our goal, too, when we fear the Lord. We need to do things out of reverence. Now, back in our verse in 11 uh, and uh, verse 7, here are a couple thoughts 
first, and these are the dependent clauses that go with it, if you will. Verse 7 says, by faith, Noah being warned of God. Noah, first of all, had reverence for God's word. If, you, if we're going to fear God as Noah feared him, we have to have reverence for what God has said. And God said some things to Noah, and because Noah had feared God, had reverence for God, he did what he did. Now, uh, how, did he, how did he hear God? How did he have reverence for God's word? Well, in a couple of ways, God spoke to him. If you remember, Genesis 6-3 said, he said to Noah, my spirit will not always strive with man. His days shall be 120 years, 120 years, and this is going to be over. And he heard that and caused him to go into that building project, which no man had ever done up to that time. Or chapter 6, verse 7, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, the fowls of the air. It repenteth me that I have made them. Suppose God said that to you. Would you could you believe him? I mean, that's a mouthful, isn't it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy everything that lives. Not only human beings, but all the animals too. I'm going to destroy them all. And Noah, out of his reverence for God, believed that. There's another thing that I've made re uh, uh, reference to, and that is Methuselah. Now, think about it. Methuselah was his grandfather, and his father was Enoch. Enoch was a preacher too, a prophet, and we even read his prophecy in the book of Jude. And so here is Enoch, and he's prophesying, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. He was a, he was a prophet of the second coming. And he has a boy born. And, and he's, so this boy that is born to Enoch, who is in touch with God as a prophet, he names him Methuselah. When he dies, it will come. Somehow Enoch realized that this boy was God's measuring stick, and when he died, God's judgment was coming on the sins of our generation. And Noah knew that. And Noah had, he knew his history, and his grandfather was still alive as he's building the ark in these last 120 years, while he's doing it, maybe Methuselah visited him. <laughs> maybe he gave him some advice. I don't know. But he's alive during those years. And when grandpa dies, God's judgment's coming. And so he was warned of God. And he believed that because uh, he believed God and had reverence for God. I think sometimes we don't believe God. I think sometimes we go about our lives and we don't think about life after death. We don't think about heaven and hell. We don't think much about people's souls who, when, if they die without Christ, they'll spend eternity in a Christless uh, hell. We, we know that, we hear it, but we don't do much about it. We ought to be more like Noah. Do we have any reverence for what God has said? to believe these things when he says these things to us? We should. And so remember this too, that in Genesis chapter 6, remember, my spirit will not always strive with man. And so during the days of Noah, the Holy Spirit was at work in the world. Imagine this, God's going to destroy the whole world. The only righteous man, there's Methuselah and those, but 
But that family is all there is that's righteous. The rest of them, every imagination of their thought is evil. And so uh, God is going to destroy them, and, and he's going to remove the Holy Spirit when that time comes. 120 years, and my spirit will be at work, and then he's gone. And then the flood comes. Do you know that God has said the same thing, basically, about the second coming? That the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's called the restrainer. And the restrainer will work through us until that time of the rapture happens. And when the church of Jesus Christ is gone out of this world, the Holy Spirit is gone, judgment comes. Very parallel to as it was in the days of Noah, so it would be in the coming of the Son of Man. Do you believe in the rapture? God has talked about it. God has said it. Do we live as though it could happen at any moment? Do we live as though uh, we're looking forward to it and wish it would happen? We ought to be more like Noah and believe these things in reverence. Now also, it says not only he moved with fear because he was warned of God, he had reverence for God's word, but of things not yet seen. He had reverence for God's predictions, if you will. He had reverence for what God said would come, things that he had not even seen yet. And you know what those were? Well, number one, a flood. Never seen such a flood. There's never been a flood on the, you know, worldwide. And number two, rain in chapter 7, verse, verse 4. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, yeah, what is that? It's not even rained on the earth. We have a hard time picturing or imagining what the world was like before the flood. And that's where I think creationists uh, have really hit on a key thing to understand that the, the days of the dinosaurs, the days of the, of the Garden of Eden, that the days that were before the flood, the earth was in such a, a garden-like uh, way. You and I can hardly imagine it. But when all of that water collapsed and all of the world changed in the flood, everything that was after the flood was totally different than before the flood. The old world, as Peter called it is perished. And so you have then things not seen. And God telling Noah, I'm going to do this. And Noah saying, I've never seen such a thing. How can I believe such a thing? No, he believed it because he feared God, this says. And you know, to me, the syllogism is easy. Number one, I believe God. I believe that there is a God. And if I believe that there's a God, I, I believe God is God. He does what he wants to do. He does everything he needs to do. And so God gave us revelation. God has spoken to us through prophets, through uh, his word. And so if God has spoken to us, I believe that's of God. He's given us his word because he's God. And if in that word we have information about things that we have not yet seen, I have to believe that too. I have to believe the future as well as the past. I have to believe what he says about history. I have to believe what he says about the future. And that's what Noah did also. And so, folks, the Bible says that time is coming. It says we're living in the last days. It says that there, there is a time when, when uh, believers will be removed and the Holy Spirit will be gone and God's judgment will come on this earth and people who enter into that time will scarcely be saved. Maybe your loved ones, maybe your children or grandchildren, maybe your neighbor, maybe your wife or husband, maybe somebody uh, you know that's not saved. Do you really understand 
how serious that is. Noah did. And when God said, here's what you do, Noah, and we're going to get to that next, build an ark, <laughs> he did it because he feared God. So let's go to the second point, because our verse in Hebrews 11, verse 7 says, he prepared an ark to the saving of his house, and, and by doing the same thing, he condemned the world. So by faith, secondly, Noah acted on his faith. He did what God said to do. If this is the way the world is, if this is what is coming, even though I haven't seen it, what should I do? Here's what you do. Build an ark. Now, this is New Testament proof that the book of Genesis is correct. I mean, Jesus has talked about this ark. The New Testament writers talk about this ark. They are inspired of God. Uh, this literally happened. It's feasible. It's believable. The ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. And if you want to see pretty much what it looked like, go to Kentucky and you see one built there. It's a pretty mammoth thing. And yet, it happened. And by the way, with that thing sitting out in Noah's driveway, and he's, he's building this ark, and people are coming by saying, what is that, Noah? Why are you doing that? By that, he condemned the world by saying, because you're going to perish if you don't believe God. And so they ridiculed Noah. They hardened their heart, and he condemned the world through their hard heart. You know what? The world doesn't necessarily like Ken Ham and his, and his ark that he built in Kentucky. Do they? No, they don't want that thing sitting there. They don't want any reminder of what God did, even though they don't believe he did it. They don't want any reminder of God's coming judgment. They don't like that. But Ken Ham built it, and a bunch of other people. And uh, it's kind of an interesting thing that he did, and, and the way he built it, and so forth. And so uh, imagine that same thing sitting outside Noah's house, and Noah's building this for 120 years, and people are asking, what is that, and what's going to happen? And Noah is preaching to them about things he's never seen, and saying, I believe God, I fear God, and this is coming. Now, a couple things are said about this building of the house. One is, he did it to the uh, building of the ark, he, he did it to the saving of his house. Now, I don't believe here that that means regeneration. In other words, that he built the ark and therefore he saved. Or he built the ark and therefore his sons and their wives became believers. But basically what this means is they, weren't, they didn't die. He built this ark and he saved his family alive, at least his immediate family. He saved them alive. Now, in Genesis 6.18, God said to him, I will establish my covenant with you, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And so they were saved from the water. Now, I want to go back to a statement that Peter made in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we read. Verse 20, which sometime were disobedient. I'm reading the old language here, and that means those that, that lived in that day were disobedient and unbelieving toward God. When, once, the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Isn't it interesting? I'll give, I'll give them 120 years to repent. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering. 
I'll give 120 years for you to get your heart right with God. While the ark was a preparing, wherein few souls, that is eight souls, and then he says, were saved by water. <laughs> because, of course, they were. They, the water bore up the ark. They floated upon the water. Uh, God protected them in that ark until finally the waters receded. But then Peter wants to say, the like figure, this is also a figure, whereunto even baptism <laughs> saves us. Baptism saves us? Now you and I, as good Baptists, don't believe, even though we baptize people, we put them under the water all the way and bring them back up, we don't believe that that saves a person's soul. And Peter will put this parenthesis in, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but rather an act of a good conscience toward God. Now, Noah and his family were saved by water. You and I are saved by baptism. What in the world does that mean? Let me try to apply it this way. If I said to you, our ark that is going to save you alive in this wicked day in which we live is the local church of Jesus Christ where the ordinances are practiced. Not the putting away of the filth of your flesh, but the rescue of your life in the day and age in which you live. And if you will come into this ark that we have, this local church, and wherever these churches exist, and they're all over the world, of course, if you come into this church through baptism, the profession of your faith, then at there you will find security and safety for you and your family. And I would add to that, if you then keep the Lord's Supper, means that you keep attending and you come together and you practice that ordinance too, I will say to you as a pastor, it's been my experience in life, your marriage and your kids and your grandkids will be saved from this world if you'll do that. But if you'll not come into this ark, you can't guarantee that. I hope you can understand what Peter's saying here. The like figure whereunto baptism saves us. The like figure where Noah was saved by water. When Peter was preaching at Pentecost before uh, the Spirit, or when the Spirit fell, and he preached at Pentecost, he, say, he said, come and do this and save yourselves from this untoward generation, from this perverse generation. Save yourselves from it. And I'm simply saying that even in our day and age, before Jesus returns, before the judgment of God comes at the end of this age, we need to be people who gather together the way God has instructed us to gather, and that's in the church of Jesus Christ, and be there and rescue ourselves and our family from this world, because this world wants to eat them up. Okay. He did that. Now, you know, people don't believe that God's punishment is coming. And they don't believe us when we preach and say, when they say, why are you doing what you're doing? We say, because Jesus is going to return. There's a blessed hope, and it might happen at any time. And, this, and judgment's going to come upon this world. And they say, I don't believe that. I don't think God's going to judge the world. There's an interesting statement by Spurgeon that he said one time. He said, he who does not believe that God will punish sin will not believe that he will pardon it through the atoning blood. 
If you can't believe God is going to punish this world, you probably can't believe him that he would save you through the blood of Jesus Christ either. By this preaching, Noah condemned the world. Okay. So by faith, he moved with fear. By faith, he prepared an ark. And thirdly, by faith, he became the heir of righteousness, uh, heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So, you know, Noah, actually, as I read those verses in the Old Testament, he was the first person to be called righteous, interestingly. That term was first used of Noah, and not only is it used in Genesis 6, but it's used then in Ezekiel uh, and others in the Old Testament as well. And he, was say, he became the heir of righteousness. He became the heir of people who are righteous. It's his line that then populated the world. It's his line through whom the, the gospel came. And the Lord Jesus was even born eventually because Noah was righteous and God saved him. Now, I want to make a little side point here because maybe you've heard this before. The word righteous in the Old Testament is the same word for atonement. Did you ever hear that? God made atonement for our sins, and it's the word kafar. We might get the word cover from it, kafar. But it also is the same word as the word pitch, P-I-T-C-H. And what happened to the ark? It was covered with what? Pitch. He, as a matter of fact, he was told, pitch it. <laughs> pitch it cover it. Yesterday, somebody asked me, uh, did Noah play, play cards? I said, I don't know. And they said, no, because he was standing on the deck. You know, I, I, somebody else said, well, was Noah a fisherman? No, because he only had two worms. <laughs> but here we find that Noah, uh, Pitched the last inning, you might say. So he did play baseball. He pitched. Now, you know what that is. That, that word pitch, and by the way, when you look it up, I looked it up in one dictionary that actually referred it to the word asphalt, that we get our word asphalt from, a black, gooey substance that he covered that ark with so that it would not leak. That, comes the word, that becomes the word for atonement. God covered your sins in the Old Testament until Christ could die for them. And so righteousness is to have your sins covered, and eventually by the blood of Christ. Let me read you what one dictionary says, if you'll indulge me. He said, there is much allegory and symbolism in the ark. An example of this is the word pitch. In the Hebrew, pitch is exactly the same word as atonement. Leviticus 17.11 might read this way, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to be pitch for your souls. For it is the blood that serves as pitch for the soul. It was safe in the ark because the pitch kept the waters of judgment out. The pitch in the life of a believer is the blood of Christ, which secures us from any judgment. There could be no leaks in the ark because of the pitch, and the judgment of God can never touch the believer because the blood of Christ has sealed him from the flood of judgment. And so that same word is applied to the, the blood of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. 
that as Noah covered that ark with that black pitch so that the world could not come in, it could not come in and destroy them, if you cover your life with the blood of Jesus Christ, nothing can come in and destroy you. That's the picture. It's a great picture from that word. And so we find that Noah did what he did because he believed God. He built an ark, and he became the heir of this righteousness that covers our sin. Let me recap it this way. God's word says, folks, that there's a heaven and a hell. This life is short, we will die, and then we will live forever somewhere else. In one of two places, heaven or hell. And there is an ark that we can enter into, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I'm talking about salvation now. We can enter into Christ, and his blood seals us and keeps us and will keep us eternally. That is the pitch, if you will, in our life. And then we become heirs of good things to come. We become heirs of righteousness also. And so we preach this righteousness to our generation. We say to this generation, judgment is coming. It's coming in your life. Even if you die, you're still going to meet God in judgment. And so that is coming. We condemn the world by it in a way. Because when people say, well, I don't believe that silly stuff. I don't believe all of that. Then they will stand before God and God will say, but you didn't believe it. I preached it to you. You didn't believe it. In other words, that preaching actually condemns the world. But God gives you this choice to make. As Noah gave his generation. You want to come into the ark? You want to come in and be saved? The door's still open. You want to go in? I don't believe that. I don't want to go in. It's your choice. I read this story, and I'll close with this. It happened in 1860 by a guy named Blondine, who was a tightrope walker. And somehow, I don't know how, they had a cable strung over Niagara Falls. Maybe you've heard this story. It was 1,000 feet across and 160-some feet up above the waters. And he would walk across that cable and back. And a crowd would gather, and he would, uh, uh, he would do that. And then he had a wheelbarrow that he would push across that cable. And he, he would say to the crowd, do you think I can make it? The crowd would say, oh, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. I'm going to push this wheelbarrow across on this cable and come back. Do you think I can do it? Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. And then he would walk up to each person and say, then, will you get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> and one by one, everyone in the crowd said, I don't think so. It's one thing to say, yo, you can do it. You can do it. It's one thing to say, judgment's coming. Yeah, I know. Jesus can save. Yeah, I know. But the gospel comes to us and says, then you get in. Commit your soul to it. And that's where we, one by one, say, eh, not me. By the preaching of this righteousness, Noah condemned the world like Bondini condemned those standing there for their lack of faith. But don't let your life be condemned. Don't let your soul be condemned. If you don't know Christ as Savior, receive him. Ask him to come into your heart. Trust him that he can wash away your sins and make you righteous before God. So that when the judgment comes, whatever comes, you are safe inside that ark. I trust that you will. Stand now with me, if you will, as we stand. We will go to the Lord in prayer.
and we'll sing a song and we'll let the Lord speak to our hearts as he wants to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you, Father, for uh, this message from Noah's life, this preacher of righteousness. And Father, we, we do take seriously that we are living in days just like Noah was living in, that the world is as bad now as it was then, and it grieves you to your heart. And yet, Father, we also understand through your word that you've made a way out for us. You've made an ark for us. You've made blood that will cleanse us from our sin. So help us, Father, not to be like those people who wouldn't believe it and perished, but help us to be those who will believe to the saving of our souls. So, Father, speak to our hearts in that manner. Assure us of our salvation. Help us to know that we know you. And then, Father, I pray that you would encourage us to be people like Noah in our day that feared God, that did his work, that became heir of these good things. May we be that way too. So bless in this time, speak to our hearts, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. John's going to come and lead us.